You're listening to Radio Mayapur with the best devotional, meditation, kirtan music, and inspirational podcast. This is Radio Mayapur. Hello, Hare Krishna, everyone. This is Ganga Das. We are, today we are having a fantastic interview podcast. We are in a manor in near London in UK. And we are interviewing a very, very wonderful, beautiful, interesting devotee, Vishaka Mataji. And she also happened to be the temple president of the manor. So, and uh, so I'll give a little introduction. She is uh, born in 1950 in USA, in New York, studying Institute of Technology and Photography. And uh, she joined in 1970, and she's also the wife of Yadu Bar, and together they did a lot of filming on Srila Prabhupada for many, many years. She also wrote a very beautiful, interesting book, which I feel all our listeners should definitely get to read. It's called Five Year, Eleven Month. It's a memoir, and there's a lifetime of unexpected love. So for those of you who are interested to purchase this book, it's available on Amazon. So welcome, Vishaka Mataji. Thank you for giving your valuable time for this podcast for Radio Mayapur. We have many listeners around the world, devotees who are inspired by hearing to our radio, uh, which is from Mayapur, but I'm traveling around the world and I'm catching all the wonderful devotees and the interview. So, tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, your family, in very short few minutes. You can okay. give us a little bit. Well, thank you, Ganga Prabhu, for inviting me to be on your podcast. I'm very grateful to, to be with you and to be able to contribute a little bit as best I can. Sure, thank you so much. Honored. So, uh, I was born in an atheistic family. My mother grew up in England in the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. And uh, when she came of age, she gave it up because she felt it was simply rituals without any substance, without mm. any philosophy. And my father was brought up in the Jewish tradition, and when he came of age, he felt the same. He also gave up Judaism because he felt it was simply rituals with nothing behind it, no real reasoning behind it. So my brother and I were raised as atheists our whole lives. We never went to any church or a temple, or a synagogue, place of worship of any sort. And I was quite actively opposed to religion, based on my parents' influence, that it was simply a way to avoid the reality of life. Mm. Interesting. So, I was studying photography at Rochester Institute of Technology, and then my friend from the college went to India to do his master's thesis and from India, he invited me to join him there, which I did in 1970. Just interested in photography and being with him. Um, and there I met Prabhupada and the devotees, and over a period of time, became intrigued. And <laughs> in which place did you meet Srila Prabhupada? That was in Bombay, today called Mumbai. Yes, Bombay. So, was the beginning of the building of the temple was not there yet. No, no, the devotees didn't have a, a steady place. They had a pandal across Maidan. Right. And then they rented a flat in a Kashganga building on the seventh floor of a Kashganga. Nice. Right on the seafront. 
But what was your impression when you first saw Srila Prabhupada? Because he was such an exceptional person. I don't know, uh, many people speak about. I personally did not meet Srila Prabhupada, so I didn't have yeah. that fortune. In, in college I had published a how-to book on photography. Mm -hmm. So I brought that with me to India. And when I met Prabhupada for the first time, my then boyfriend, now husband, Yadabar, Mm -hmm. He told me to bring that book with me, which I did. And so I had no intention of showing it to Prabhupada because I thought, he's a holy person, what's he going to do with a photography book? It didn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Yadabar, who was then John, insisted. So he took the book from me and gave it to Prabhupada. Nice. And it was very interesting to see Prabhupada look at this book because it became obvious that he knew all about photography. No. <laughs> about books. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he knew all about books because he studied the binding, he studied right, the cover, right. the um, quality of the... Of the paper. Of the paper. He was a publisher, so yeah. He, knew. he worked very closely with publishers, yeah. so he was quite experienced. And it was a short book, it was like 120-something pages, but he looked through each page, page by page, uh, studying, you know, the quality of the, of the book itself. And then he handed it back to us. He has to stretch his arm a little bit. And he said, we do not know much about these things. Referring, I think, to photography. <laughs> yes, not yes, to, yeah, not the book. Not to the book publication, but yeah. So it was amazing to see him, you know, although it was completely different from what he was presenting, Krishna consciousness, mm -hmm. but he took an interest in it and uh, was very aware very aware. Nice. And then uh, what happened? Uh, uh, you started f doing photography with Srila Prabhupada. Were you requested by somebody to do any photography or you were just interested uh, in doing Bombay mm, photography? No, we had this idea, John and I, yes. had this idea that we would do, because we were both interested in photography. Yes. So we wanted to do a story on a quaint Indian village where they didn't use machinery. Right. They just used the oxen and milked the cows and lived very simply in their, you know, village cottages and and heard, uh, you know, spiritual stories when the sun went down and these sorts of things. But we didn't know which Indian village would be appropriate because we were fairly new right. to India. Right. So we thought, well, Prabhupada is from India and he's traveled extensively India. We'll ask him. Yes. So at the end of the Bombay Pandal, before he was going to leave to continue his travels, we explained to him our project and said, where should we go? So he looked at us with a mixture of gravity and amusement, and he said, you do not speak the language. Wherever you go, they will simply cheat you and steal your cameras. He was very pragmatic. New very stuff. pragmatic. Yeah, <laughs> it was a good advice. <laughs> <laughs> we had already been pickpocketed, so right. we were quite aware. So that was very deflating to hear him say that, you know, we have our dream, our bubble yeah. popped. But then he paused just long enough and he said, better you go to Vrindavan and you do your story in Vrindavan. Mm. So we didn't go there right away because it was very hot at that time of year. First mm -hmm. we went to Nepal and we trekked in the Himalayas. And then we came back and we went to Vrindavan. We stayed there for a month. With the devotee or not just? No, there weren't there weren't any devotees. Some passed through on their way between Delhi yes. and... We didn't Delhi. have a temple at that time. No, 
But when they travel between Delhi and Bombay, they would stop. Okay. Nice. So that way we met Brahmananda Maharaj, we met Gurdas and Jamuna, different devotees would stop. So that month was transformative for me because I came to Vrindavan as an atheist and then a month later I left as a theist. <laughs> Just the atmosphere of Vrindavan or you met some people interesting? Or tell us some story, what happened in that one month? Well, we only could meet two people that spoke English in Vrindavan then. Now, the rickshaw wallets speak English. <laughs> yeah, of course, now everybody speaks English there. <laughs> but then it was Prabhupada's godbrother, Dr. Obiel Kapoor. Oh, nice. And one gentleman, an elderly gentleman, who really gave us a lot of shelter, spoke English. But they didn't preach to us. It was really just being in that, immersed in that, place of so much faith. Everywhere was Jai Radhe, everywhere were yeah. temple hills. And, and at that time it was a real village at the time. It now it's a, a jungle of buildings and concrete. It's changed a lot. I would photograph every morning the widows who wore white at that time. Yes. And there would be maybe 150 of them in a temple, and they would just chant the Maha Mantra for three hours. Yeah, the And they did it with such faith. You know, they weren't very musical, they didn't play the instruments so expertly, but they had so much faith. And that really affected me deeply. But did you take the photography for that month? Yeah, yeah, there are pictures in the there memoir. There are pictures in this the, book. Of the widows nice. chanting Hare Krishna. So then from Vrindavan, where did you go next? Well, as I mentioned, Gurdas was one of the devotees that stopped. And he knew our background a little bit in photography and publication. So he said, we were doing an all-India Vyasa Puja book for Srila Prabhupada in Calcutta. And you should come and oversee the printing of that book. So I didn't want to leave. I was captivated by Vrindavan. But my then boyfriend, now husband, <laughs> said, no, we should go. <laughs> so we left and went to Calcutta and started living in the Calcutta Iskand Temple and overseeing the publication of this nice. Vyasa Puja book for Srila Prabhupada. That time also Calcutta was much different from what is today. It was very... I remember I came in 79, so it was always dark in the night. There were no lights and a lot of lush shedding. I mean, there's no electricity, the roads, and people live in the streets. Well, when we went, it was the time of the Bangladesh War. Oh, yeah. So there were one million refugees that came from Bangladesh and took shelter in Calcutta. It was just staggering. We got out the train. The whole train was filled with families living in the train station because they had left their homes. All along the streets, on either side, there were people, just families living. They had left everything to take shelter of uh, Calcutta. Avoid. What an experience. What an experience. I had never seen or even imagined anything yeah. like that before. And did you happen to go to Mayapur at the time as well or no? A little later we went to Mayapur. Okay. So then you did the book and after the book what happened? You did this, you were associating more with the volumes or? Yeah, well it was the first time I had lived in the temple for any length of time. And the temple was very strained at that time, one would say, because the whole city was strained, so that kind of yeah. invaded the temple too. So, yeah, they had hired a Brahmin cook because they couldn't figure out how to function in an Indian kitchen. Yeah, it's different. 
And it turned out he wasn't a Brahmin and he wasn't a cook. <laughs> Other than that, there was no problem. <laughs> so the prashadam was really inferior. The ingredients right. were everything. And the devotees weren't very healthy. They weren't getting along They were getting well. sick. Also. Yeah, so it was a very difficult time. So I kept thinking, you know, Prabhupada's a very wonderful, interesting gentleman, and this philosophy sounds interesting, but this life doesn't seem like it's for me. So I was considering going back to college. But uh, there was one devotee there, Chitraleka, mm -hmm. and she understood my train of thought. And she said to me, you can't leave now because Prabhupada's coming. <laughs> so I was hanging on by a thread, not with the mana mantra, <laughs> but with that <laughs> mantra. You can't leave now because Prabhupada's coming. So he came in October that year, and um, that was amazing because he immediately saw the difficulties in the temple, and he called for an istagosti in his room, the same room that he has now. Yes. He so we all streamed in there after the morning program, and he looked around and he said, uh, he, someone was missing. I think Himavati may have been missing. So he said, where is Himavati? No one knew where she was. So he sent everybody Nandan Swami to find Himavati. So he waited until everyone was there, and then he preached to us. Nice. And it was that was amazing, because when I walked into that room, I felt like Atlas carrying the world, you know, burdened. Yeah. <laughs> the weight of the world. When I left, it was like I was floating from hearing, hearing his words of wisdom. Amazing. So, in which year you took initiation, actually? Seventy-one. Seventy-one. Which place you took initiation? Vrindavan. In Vrindavan. So, by in one year, basically, you complete change your life and uh, your uh, consciousness, your values, your belief. Everything change. Transform. Transform, yeah. So then tell us about after you took initiation, what did you do, where did you go? Because did you travel sometime with Shri Prabhupada and you did video or photography and things like that? Well, first we were based in Bombay with Giriraj Swami, mm -hmm. who at that time was a brahmachari, yes. helping the project there. And uh, my husband was the secretary, and I was doing a monthly magazine, Hare Krishna Monthly. Nice. It was fundraising for the temple. There'd be many advertisements with some articles mixed in. So I would go and oversee the printing and pick the articles, sometimes write the articles. And then uh, Prabhupada was going to Vrindavan for Kartik in 1972. So because I had a very flexible schedule, I dropped everything and went there to be with him for that month. Nice. The lectures in Vrindavan. Yeah, so that was also uh, quite an extraordinary experience. And then eventually what happened was that Karandar Prabhu, who was at that time very prominent in his con, the GBC mm -hmm. and so on, he decided that we had so many centers in ISKCON, but we didn't know what people were doing what the devotees were doing in other centers, so he wanted a film of the Hare Krishna people. And there weren't any filmmakers, so, but he knew we were photographers, so he asked us. Nice. So that completely transformed our career in Krishna consciousness, our service, because uh, we came back to America and started working on a film about the Hare Krishna movement, which became 
Hare Krishna people. Yes, in the film. <laughs> we used to have a fair trial, you That's know, right. this yeah. suitcase which you open and becomes a television. I used yeah. to make a life member. It was very impressive. Oh, it's it's nice. 30 minutes. Beautiful. So then we started filming and photographing. And what about the equipment? You got it from America or you purchased it in India? What type of equipment you use? Well, because at the time there was no, no, not digital, so everything was... Super actually, 8, I don't know 16, what, 16, 16 millimeter, yeah. yeah. At first we thought we could make a film out of the existing films, because mm -hmm. devotees in Africa had made an 8 millimeter film, and devotees you know, in Mexico had it. And we looked and it wasn't enough, it was incomplete. So then we had to buy a 16 millimeter camera, and Prabhupada was kind enough to uh, buy that for us from the BBT nice. funds. Nice. Very, very unusual because it's supposed to be for books and temples. Right. But he knew the power of film. Of course. And so, but he said that he would help us with this initial purchase, but then he wanted us to sell the films and make more films from the, from yeah, the revenue. revenue. Yeah, nice. exactly. So it, it could be self perpetuating in that way. Yeah, probably was also a businessman, so he understood about very practical. funds and practical. So. But th those films, you had to develop them, and then, you know, it was, was not just, okay, you did it, and that's it, right? And then you had to edit them, and... Uh, very expensive. Very also. expensive, yeah. Very expensive. But you did that in India, or you did it... In the U.S. In yeah. the uh, U.S. Mm -hmm. Nice. But that first film, we counted that Prabhupada saw that Hare Krishna people film at least 14 times. Because he would lecture at the evening programs, and then we thought, surely he must be tired. He got up and translated, he went for his walk, he's been meeting people, <laughs> he must be tired, he's going to go and rest. But he would sit and watch the, film. watch the film. And once in Juhu, they put, they didn't have a proper screen, so they put a sheet in front of the audience, and his Vyasasana was behind the sheet, so he saw the whole thing reversed. Left to yeah, <laughs> and he still saw the whole <laughs> Amazing. But then from that film you went on improving your equipment and you change and you start to travel around the world. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, well that became our service, the photography. Yes. I would do the photography, still photography and sound, and my husband would do the filming generally. And so wherever we went, we would try to be with Prabhupada and film and record that. So, yeah, and then we made a series of films. After that, the most recent one is the Hare Krishna. Yeah, that's a very powerful one. I saw it. I saw it in Dubai, in many places. Beautiful. So, <clears throat> amazing story. And uh, tell us more about uh, how Srila Prabhupada saw the movement expanding, how, how it was his vision for the, for the whole movement in the world. Well, Prabhupada was very personally oriented, people oriented, and so he would interact very closely with his leaders and really anyone that came before him, because I think the vision was that if we are have a single vision between us, we can be thousands, you know, hundreds of tens of thousands of people, but if we have his vision in the center, just like his famous analogy, if you have a still pond and put one stone, yes. Yes. And the circles created are concentric, they don't conflict. Yes. So he was very keen on educating us, giving us knowledge, and giving us this very uh, 
amazing vision of the universality of Krishna consciousness, how it's applicable to everyone, and how it's so incredibly flexible that everyone can be embraced by it. And so I think uh, he would address his leaders, everyone, but especially the leaders, because they took up so much responsibility trying to impart this knowledge, this vision to them. The mission of Lord Chaitanya, which was to preach the holy name to everyone and see everybody as a spirit soul. And see past the body. Yeah, and so um, engage everybody in this movement. Wonderful. Did you ever see Srila Prabhupada angry? Yeah, sometimes you would get angry <laughs> when devotees were negligent. Yeah, for sure. He was a practical person. Was a practical but then he would not carry that anger with him. I mean, immediately it would again become normal. And yes, he did it as service. Yes, not as a personal grudge yeah, or it was not personal false ego. Ego, yeah. Amazing personality. How fortunate you are that you meet such all a person. All of us are under. All of us are under his shelter. Yes. So, uh, do you like to tell us any particular pastime you had with Shri Prabhupada? Sure. Uh, in Juhu, he would go for morning walks on the beach. Yes. About a two-minute walk from the Juhu property. So I, it was a wonderful time to photograph because the light was soft at that time, early in the morning. And he would be very expressive and such a beautiful scene on the beach there with the, the ocean in the background. So I would go with him every morning without fail with my cameras. <clears throat> so I was waiting for him one morning, chanting my japa, just sitting cross-legged. And uh, it was still a little dark. He would go at six, and it was still a little bit dark. So he came very softly. I didn't hear him at all. And he passed by me. He was just like six inches away from me. And he glanced at me, and he said, Thank you very much. And I thought, oh, I'm just sitting here. What's he thinking? <laughs> and then I thought, No, I'm chanting my japa. And that's his instruction. So he's reciprocating, nice. responding. So I think it's not just to me that he's responding, but... All of us, when, all we, of us. when we chant, he appreciates, he's aware, and he appreciates the effort and the sincerity, just trying, trying to follow. Yes. So you've been in movement for many, many years, and you've seen so many things. Um, how do you feel like uh, what was before in the beginning, the movement, how it is today, how it is progressing better? Of course, we have... Hundreds of temple, thousands of devotees, Amata, and different preaching doing in different way. So, what's your feeling about this? Are we? Yeah, I think naturally the early years, the pioneer years, are not going to be the same as the years later on. Of course. Although we're still a very new movement, but we've those initial years of setting up ISKCON have now passed. We're set up, as you yes. say, there's so many devotees and centers. So we can't expect what they call the same as the good old days. We can't expect that. Sure. People change with growth, otherwise it would be unnatural if you didn't change Absolutely. as you grow. <laughs> but at the same time, I think that there's always the danger of um, misconstruing the teachings. Mm -hmm. And so knowledge is really important to be fully educated in Prabhupada's, not just the philosophy, but also the way it's enacted practically. And so I think that, that becomes an essential component so that we remain united throughout the world. 
and we don't become so influenced by whatever anomalies we happen to be exposed to in our own culture. That's true. Nice. Now, how do you see the future? Because, okay, we have now so many temples, and I remember Srila Prabhupada reading and saying, okay, now we got the milk, we have to make a cure. Means taking care of the devotee and making sure that everybody is uh, abiding or taking the vision of this uh, mission of Archidanya, not get lost into the multitude and different variety of things we do, or maybe the organizational level, I don't know. But how do you see the future, how we can improve ourselves, how we can um, maybe modify our preaching to, by which can appeal to the youth or to the different people in the world? Mm -hmm. And there's a wonderful story about the book distributors in the 70s, mm -hmm. when book distributor was book distribution was very much in the forefront. And they wanted, this small group of very uh, successful book distributors wanted to travel extensively and teach the devotees in different centers how to distribute books successfully. Nice. They teach them what to say to stop people, what to say so they hold the book, what to say so they give a donation, etc. So they went to Prabhupada with this idea you know, to travel, and they thought that he would be very receptive to it. And what he said was quite amazing. He said, each person is his own genius. You teach the devotee how to be sincere, then Krishna from within their heart will help them to be successful in their service. That's beautiful. In other words, we don't need the sales techniques. Uh, as If the sincerity is there, then Krishna will instruct each devotee. Each people you meet is different also. Exactly. So. So I think that's true for all the services. Yes. That if the devotees become, if we, if I, become sincere, then there'll be help. Of course, always. Very nice. So any other things you'd like to tell us to inspire our audience to be more Christian conscious? Or what is your message to the devotees who are listening to our podcast? Well, one thing I learned from from observing Prabhupada that he honored each individual. That according to a person's inspiration, according to their abilities, according to their interests, he would fan the spark. He would encourage them to come forward with faith that Krishna would help if they, again, were sincere. So I think that we should emphasize the person over the projects. You know, really focus on the person and help that individual person take a little step or big steps closer to Krishna. And that will be good for us as yes. a service to Krishna. It will be good for the person because they'll be moving in the right direction. Nice. Maybe you can tell us one of the sloka which you are meditating every day or something, whether it's Bhagavad Gita or Bhagavadam or from whatever scripture. Is there any particular sloka that you really like very much to your heart? Uh, just this morning I was reading in the Bhagavatam, the first mm -hmm. canto. It's the story of Parikit Maharaj deciding that he would pass the kingdom on to his son. Nice. And uh, Prabhupada was saying that we shouldn't hang on to our positions, but we should make room for the next generation and have faith that if we've done our service properly, they will carry on properly. That's beautiful. 
In other words, we had to train the youth to be the succession of the future. And sometimes, like children, we had to tolerate some mistakes. Like children, they fall down, but the mother and father, they never think, oh, my son will never walk. So strand him up and make him walk again. And so, thank you very much. Is there any question that I did not ask and you like to ask yourself? There is anything you like to say? Prabhupada also wrote in that same section of the Bhagavatam, towards the end of the first canto, he said, the, uh, the basic principle of religion is truthfulness. Absolutely. As long as we are truthful, everything will manifest. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you, Ganga Prabhu. Thank so you. Nice I hope to company. see you soon in Mayapur, and then you. I'll be able to serve you in some possible way. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank Hare you for Krishna. all your service to Prabhupada. You're listening to Radio Mayapur with the best devotional, meditation, kirtan music, and inspirational podcast. This is Radio Mayapur.